Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah. Get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. Going on, everybody. Welcome to the feed from Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with my 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 pal, my I guess my my video producing extraordinaire, Brock Landis. Brock, how are how are we tonight? We're chilling, man. We've been grinding over here, so the, yeah. the hope is just to continue to make noise throughout the season. Otherwise, I have no complaints. Uh, school starts officially. Well, it did last week, but this is when classes legitimately start this week. So uh, we're going to get ourselves ingrained into a routine, protect the mental throughout, and then we'll be golden. Uh, Just keep pumping out content. Yeah, for sure. And uh, what I think it was like a month ago, we got you to a thousand followers. Mm -hmm. And now you're you're what? You're a hundred away from two thousand. Yeah, look, I can't even talk about it without cheesing cheek to cheek. I mean, the support has been unbelievable. Uh, it's just crazy. It's a crazy feeling knowing that I'm in a position right now to make content that I, I genuinely enjoy making. It's not like it's a chore for me. I mean, uh, not to pat myself on the back, but the editing, it takes a long time. The recording, it takes a long time. Breaking the film down, it's a strenuous process. So to take five plus hours to put a video together and then put it out, uh, you don't really deal with self-doubt, but you kind of deal with, well, I just overworked myself. If this flops, <laughs> I mean, my work was for nothing, uh, but I really haven't felt that feeling yet because everybody's just been showering me with support. The comments, the like to dislike ratios, the cosigns and endorsements on Twitter. It's just an unbelievable feeling. And I feel like the trajectory of my career is way sunnier now than it was a year or two ago. Here we go. I, finally, I found some purpose. We love hearing that. We love hearing that. Well, you guys appreciate what we do and you like what we do and you want us to keep going. You always feel free to hit us up via Venmo. Brock, do you have Venmo yet? No, I haven't made it yet. I haven't made it yet. I I, I don't want (laughs) to promote your Venmo. You deserve the money. You're the man behind this podcast. You produce the podcast. You you read the comments. You upload them. You submit it to TPL. I just show up and look pretty. So if there's anyone to Venmo, it's Austin. Listen, you can Venmo me. I can sp- I'll split the profits up happily with Brock at a Krell. It's un- that's at a K all lowercase. My last name. Literally, just look at the look at my my Twitter sign or my my Twitter uh, handle on the screen. 
and just take away the NB. And that's literally my entire handle, but lowercase. Um, so we, we appreciate any support, you know, you guys want to give us, um, we do work hard for what we do. So, you know, we really appreciate any help, but you know, we know that it's trying times, not everybody can, so don't feel pressure to do it anyway. Brock, uh, let me ask you this. Are you mm-hmm. a Josh Allen guy? Say that again. Are you a Josh Allen guy? I like Josh Allen. I think he's got potential. He's got a good game, but tonight was a tough night for the brand. But, I mean, it's it's to be expected against the Chiefs. They're just a, a, a force to be reckoned with, Austin. So how much better is Josh Allen than Carson Wentz? Well, here's the problem, right? A lot of people in Philadelphia put Carson Wentz on a pedestal and coddle him for two seasons because he had an MVP caliber season and delivered the Eagles to the playoffs. And he didn't do anything in the playoffs because he got hurt. So if everybody puts Wentz on this pedestal and that bothers me, it would be hypocritical of me to put Josh Allen on a pedestal after this season. Essentially the same thing Wentz does, a fantastic regular season, and won a few games in the playoffs. So um, I think it's a little early for me to say anything about Josh Allen. I'm going to reserve judgment, but I think he's a better quarterback than Carson Wentz at the end of the day. Yeah, I don't see how anyone can think otherwise. Uh I also think it helps that he hasn't had quite the 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 journey that Wentz has had, uh, mm-hmm. which you know it's it's this is a basketball podcast. I just want to get your take on on Josh Allen. Um, that that Kansas City team, the juggernaut. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're crazy. Their their offensive play design is just way ahead of its time. I mean, in comparison to the rest of the league, the way they utilize their receivers, the pre snap movements, everything, it's just way ahead of its time. And, and, and what's crazy too, Austin, is in this Super Bowl upcoming, history is going to be made regardless, right? Because you've got Pat Mahomes who can potentially accomplish more in his short NFL career than anybody else has uh, in their NFL careers in that period of time, let alone in some of their entire careers. And you've got Brady who's on the quest of winning, I think, seven Super Bowls, and he's 43 years old, right? He was born in the 70s, which is just crazy to think about. He's still dominating the NFL, and he and he looks like he's about twenty eight. <laughs> well, that yeah, that's all that money. The the plastic surgery keeps yeah. him looking tip top. <laughs> nah, cool. I, I don't know about it. that's not for me to say. Speculation is always fun. Um, so, well, we have another team in this to discuss. Um, a team is in search of its first NBA championship, so it has a long way to go till it's reached Tom Brady's standards. Um, but that's the Philadelphia 76ers. This is a Sixers podcast. We are powered by the Paynton Lines, and we are sponsored by uh, – we now have two sponsors. One would be uh, the King Cobra Co. That is the King Cobra Co. Brock, as always, will read that ad later tonight. And then we also have our new sponsor. I'm looking for the, uh, the ticker that I made. Um, oh, okay. So here, here's the one ticker that I made. It is, we are brought to you by, uh, the King Cobra as well as now thrive fantasy app. I'll read that one to you later and, uh, we'll go from there. But so brought the, the Sixers have a, after losing in Memphis last Saturday and then getting the Sunday game and then the Sunday game being canceled, mm-hmm. they have a three and a week, a perfect week. They beat the, uh, Celtics. Um, on Wednesday, they beat the Celtics again. Friday, they beat the Pistons yesterday. And I, you know, I think 
in the in this week, and it's it's no longer a a whimsical or a, 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 I guess a, a fantasy uh, uh, for the fans to think about that, that Joel Embiid could win MVP. He is, I think the best center in the league by a country mile uh, right now. And I think, and that, and that does mean that Jokic is, is, is not in the same stratosphere as him. I'm sorry. I just don't see it. Um, and um, I, 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 you know, He's got to be the front runner right now for 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 the best uh, for, for for the MVP. I mean, look at what he's done. He scored eighty points in two games against the the Celtics. Who, yeah, they're undermanned, but it isn't like they're missing a, a Hall of Fame center in the middle. They're missing Jason Tatum, who really wouldn't have been on Embiid that much anyway. Maybe he's coming in and crashing hard on the help side, but he 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 still would not have been matched up against Joel Embiid one on one. Um, in, in, in most situations, so I, I don't take too much stock in in, in that. Um, it'd be a different story if Ben Simmons was going off for twenty five points a game in those two games, but Joel Embiid, I, I just don't think that Tatum's going to be the difference maker. By the way, um, Embiid had a dominant playoff series against the Celtics. They just didn't have enough firepower behind him to win that to, to even come close in that series. But um, Brock, you know, I think now with Embiid. Um, yeah, people ask me about this. They'll say, like, do you think he's in better shape? And I think he is in better shape. I've always been a, one who say um, we have no idea really what's going on under, underneath that jersey. So to say that we know for a fact that he is or isn't in shape or to surmise that, oh, he's not in shape because he's not playing, um, I, I think that's reckless and I think it's unfair to him. Um, that You're is maturing, just- Austin. You're really maturing. This is beautiful. Me? You've come a long way in the past year. I don't know if it's you working on the beat that's made you become a little less biased or more objective, but you're definitely maturing because I feel like five or six months ago, AK would have told me that uh, Joel Embiid's spending too much time eating Chick-fil-A and, and Popeyes. That's the, I was, I, For over a year, I have been saying that I don't think we can tell if he's in shape or not. I, I, don't, I don't think anyone can tell that. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I've been saying for over a year. Um, but... I, I, I think he has gotten in better shape as evidenced by the fact that I think he's better conditioned down the stretch of games now. Um, and he's more effective down the stretch of games, but he, his mid range jumper is getting to a point where it's automatic. Like it's just an automatic deposit to every time down. It's like, it's like to the point where it's basically a layup for him. And I got news for you. He's taking less threes and he's making more threes. He's so he's getting more efficient from outside. He's also just, being absolutely dominant in the paint and he goes down hard um on friday grabs his back a little bit still plays through it and plays against the pistons yesterday a team that 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 you know is not a very good team but clearly he wanted to play in that game to prove a point and that's that you know i'm not this i'm not this brittle boned guy knock on wood um but that you know i i, I can dominate and i and injuries aren't gonna stop me um, from doing that again, knock on wood. Um, but you know, I, I really think that he's maturing to a point where he's getting to his spots and he's just executing every single time down. He's becoming a killer. That's what he's becoming. Yeah. The thing about Joe is regardless of his conditioning, he's probably the biggest beneficiary in Philadelphia's offense of the floor spacing. 
And I say that because you take a five-on-five game down and you simplify it into a one-on-one game or a two-on-two game, the two-man game. And at that point, it's my man versus your man. Who wants the bucket more? Who wants the stop more? And more often than not, Joel Embiid at seven feet, 280 pounds apparently, is either going to get a bucket or a foul anywhere around the rim. And he's shooting 70% around the rim. So for every 10 shots he takes within eight feet of the basket, he's making seven of them. To count on somebody to make a basket around the rim, it's super underrated because you can just give the ball to him in space and let nature run its course. And that's what Philadelphia has been doing. So the thing I've noticed with their offense, it's great that they have the spacing. They can keep three around the perimeter and give Joel all of the space in the world to bully his guys. But more importantly, Philadelphia isn't just running down and chucking threes up. They're not pushing pace, and the first shooter to catch the ball is a green light three. They're letting their big man get established. When you can throw your guy in the post, and he's the first one down the court fighting for deep positioning, and he can get a bucket on the first, second, or third possession, that's how you establish the big man. He imposes his will, and then he just gets in a rhythm for the rest of the game. And the thing about Joe is that he's been good everywhere this season. I mean, looking at his percentages before the Detroit game, he was 40% from beyond the arc, which is way above league average, and especially for a center. 56% on fadeaways, 57% on pull-ups, 58% in the mid-range, so every 6 out of 10 there is a bucket, 65% on drives, and like I said earlier, 70% on shots less than 5 feet. So Austin, I've been calling him the undertaker because that's what he's been doing this season. He's been bodying people. And the fact that there's only four players in the NBA with 300-plus points, 15 steals, and 15 blocks, and Embiid is one of them, is enough to tell you that he's an MVP caliber player. Because the other two, two, three players there are Jeremy Grant. He's having a fantastic season. But AD and Giannis are there with him. And both are in MVP contention every season. So Joe most definitely has earned it, and he's been benefiting from this floor spacing and simplified offense. Yeah, and I think – so I, in recent weeks, I've sort of been pressing on this point. We don't know exactly when it started to click for him that like the, that like recognizing double teams and firing opposite because he mentioned recent, in, re, in recent post-game comments that – he feels like he can trust his teammates to make shots now. And that implies to me that before he saw that his guys couldn't break his own, they had no shooting. And so he felt like he had to take it upon himself to score because he couldn't trust anybody else um, to, to make shots. And so I, I think, um, you know, I'm not entirely convinced that just because they added shooting this this offseason that he suddenly uh, suddenly unlocked his ability to read double teams. I'm not convinced that he that that I'm not convinced that he didn't figure it out, you know, earlier than that. And then just you know, like it wasn't the right environment that was conducive to him breaking um, those um, double teams. Um, and but now I think it's incredible because he went from not only identifying them and, and seeing the rock across the court, but he is now at a point where he's actually using them to manipulate the defense and he's doing it and he's begging and pleading them to come double. And he's, he's asking to be doubled basically that way he can shoot his, uh, 
um, uh, you know, he, so that way he can find his teammates and his shooters. Um, it's incredible to see. And one, and once defenses figure out that he's manipulating them, I think we're going to see less and less doubles. And yeah. I think to 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 elaborate on that little interest intricacy that I've seen on a lot of Joe post ups, some Tobias and Ben post ups, but mostly Joe post ups is role definition. Okay, and we talked about the difference in Brett Brown role definition and Doc Rivers' role definition. It's why Tobias is playing like an all-star. It's why Seth Curry is incredibly efficient. These guys know where their shots are coming from. With Joe, if you'll watch, when he catches the ball in the post, he waits for like two or three seconds for the closest player to him to get the hell out of the way. And what does this do? It takes a defender out of the way to double-team. So a lot of what Joe's seeing now as opposed to last year where there might have been a guy cutting in the paint to the dunker spot where Ben already is. And there's four defenders packed in the paint. Joe's getting the ball, and there's a guy running away, taking the defender away. So when he's just backing his guy down, going to work, and in the post one-on-one, nobody could stop him. I, I mean, I said earlier in my video, he could get a bucket in the post with his eyes closed. That's not the problem. It's the double teams that you want to worry about. So now Joe can just back his guy down, and the Sixers are taking defenses out of the play, or, or defenders rather. So they're weakening defenses by taking some of the guys away from the Joe post-up. So now when he just goes to work, he just has to see two defenders right next to him that can play help. And he can just manipulate the defenses that, that way when he's backing down. And they blitz the double team. And like you said, he's, he's daring teams to do it because he kick it out to a 60% shooter off the catch in Seth Curry or Tobias, who's in the 50-40-90 club this season. And then the, the, the ball just works its way around the perimeter. Smoothment always prevails when teams double or form these walls against Joe. So, I, I, I mean, as much as Ben is benefiting from the floor spacing, Joe is the biggest beneficiary in the offense. Yeah, and, you know, I was wondering this last night. Do you think this is the season when we see a 50% three-point shooter for the first time? Uh, I mean, I, I don't see why not. I don't see why not. It, it's a really tough number to sustain throughout the season. And there's always regression. So Seth Curry shooting 64% plus off the catch and shoot three uh, may not be attainable over the course of a whole season, but these guys are getting really good open looks. Tobias and Seth are benefiting from Ben and Joe benefiting from floor space. Because like I said, if these guys get one-on-one matchups, chances are Ben and Joe are going to exploit the matchups. Ben is second in the NBA in assisted three-point makes. He's fifth in the NBA and assist points created. So you've got a 6'10 point guard drawing doubles and defensive attention, getting guys open shots. And when you throw doubles at Joe, he's getting guys open shots. So uh, ultimately, if they continue to get these open looks, maybe not 50, but I, I don't see why Seth or Danny Green or Tobias or even Shake couldn't get a number, I mean, right around 45 for, for the length of the entire season. Actually, I – it, this won't this won't well, this won't be this season because it's already happened. Uh, Kyle Korver shot almost fifty four percent from three in two thousand nine two thousand ten. Wow. That that was a squad though. That 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 was a Sixer squad. That was that was that, was, that wasn't a Sixer squad. That was a Jazz squad. Was it? It was with the Jazz. Yeah, oh nine ten. So that was back when that was back when they had like Capono, Iguodala, Thad Young, uh, Drew was a rookie. Yeah, um, Sam Dallenbear. Yeah. 
Yeah, the good times. Mm -hmm. uh, Benjamin Dew brings up a good question. What happened to the last episode? Uh, I'm glad you brought this up. I wanted to speak to this. I so the, the story that Jeff Passan uh, or Passan wrote with uh, Mina Kimes came out in the middle of our episode, and I I read I read the headline off to Brock during the episode, and the way that I reacted to it, I felt was um, inappropriate uh, given the context of the story, and I didn't want it to to, to stay up because it it sounded like I was saying what had happened was in any way tolerable or cool. I was not saying that. I meant to say I was trying to say that. It was cool to see Mina Kimes, who's an NFL analyst, report across sports on something that it was in baseball, which is something that you just don't see ever. You usually see the, the 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 reporters and insiders that are unique to their sport staying in their staying within their sport. So to see Mina Kimes go across in the baseball, I thought was a pretty cool story. But it sounded it, it almost sounded like I was trying to say that it's that it something different, which I didn't want it to come off that way. And so I, I asked our editor to, to to remove the video. But the, the podcast itself, the audio version, which is edited, um, is available on Apple Pods and on SoundCloud. But I didn't want to hide it. Um, I mean, I want to get rid of it, but I wanted I didn't want to hide the reasoning. So that way, there, so that way, everyone knows why I did it. Um, it I, I definitely realized what I how it came off, and that, and I tried to fix it as soon as I could. Um, but there, but there was that. So that was my mistake. But it was not intended to be in the way that it, it might have sounded to some. Um, but anyway, so Ben Simmons has been unbelievable this last game and a half. I mean, you know, he was getting crushed for the, the, the first, you know, the first game of the Boston series and really that first half. I mean, he had, I think, two points going into the fourth, four, four points, something like that going into the, the, the fourth quarter of the second Boston game. And like it was getting really bleak. And then all of the sudden, he just comes out of nowhere and he's mm -hmm. I mean, getting downhill in the half court, um, you know, putting pressure on the basket, finishing through contact. Then he goes into the Detroit game and granted no, no one on Detroit is an elite, a lockdown defender. Although you do have someone that profiles as at least someone who could give Ben some problems and Jeremy Grant um, and Ben just goes ballistic. But I think the best part about it, he shot 10 of 12 from the free throw line last night. Yep. Two pressure cooker free throws um, to close to, to, to close the game. I mean, say what you want about his offense, and sure, I can say that. You know, I had to be fair as a reporter, and I could definitely say that his offense has not developed really that much at all since his rookie year, especially as a scorer. But his free throw shooting has gotten better, and I think that's something that everyone has to acknowledge. It was better towards the end of last year, and I think historically Ben Simmons becomes a better free throw shooter. Um, towards the end of the season, like in the, and then towards like the playoffs time, he, he get he like in that last month or so of games, he, he kind of dials into the 70% range, but he's usually at like 56% for the, for the season beforehand. So it kind of doesn't really do him much justice, but last season I thought he was better from the line and his numbers showed he was this season. He's been, you know, a lot better from the line. Uh, still has a long way to go. Still only about 65%. From, from, from on the free throw line, but 24, if they can get that up to by his prime, get that up to, you know, 73, 74%. Um, there's a lot of incentive for him to get to the rim suddenly. Yeah. And before I go about Ben Simmons, because you know how I feel about two, five, let me get this out of the way for 
Everybody that's watching the podcast, we do have two sponsors, as Austin told you earlier. One of them is the King Cobra, and this is a shotgunning beer tool that would serve you great if you're a beer drinker, if you're an alcohol drinker, whatever it may be. If you want to increase your shotgunning time at parties, got to check my boys out at the King Cobra. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. It's also a tab puller vent puncher, and it fits on a keychain, so it has unlimited purposes. It's a true Swiss Army knife for any drinker. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on IG at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co., and Cobra is spelled with a K. For a 10% discount on all products, enter the code TRUSTTHECOBRA10, all caps, one word, pick yours up today. Austin, we got to talk about Ben Simmons, okay? Because here's the problem. That was your best one yet. Very Good. Well. Glad King Cobra will be proud of me. I didn't endorse using it as a weapon this episode either, which obviously you never should, but you don't want to publicly say that. Um, let's talk about Ben though, Austin. Because my thing is, if you're going to slander Ben, if you're going to hate a player and you're going to sulk in your misery and you're going to nitpick and look for things to be mad about, I don't want to waste any energy arguing. So what I did in the past two weeks was craft the idea to examine his game in the playoffs. And I broke down every shot, every assist, all of his defensive plays. And I came to the realization that people are really taking Ben for granted. And this is before the, the, the Boston miniseries, before the Detroit game. The thing about Ben is that he's a highly impactful basketball player, and he's not above the criticism. So if you want to say that he really hasn't improved offensively, you may be right. He, he, he really hasn't added anything to his game. He's just holding R2. He doesn't let the button breathe. He's on turbo all game. That's his move. There's, there's little to no unpredictability in the half court. But the thing is, he's so good. And in his physical height, his size, it's such an advantage that defenses have to respect it. So you've got a guy who, if you want to say, doesn't have a jump shot. It's true. Doesn't have a jump shot getting picked up at half court in transition by two or three defenders. And they don't even look at the guys trailing on the wings. So there, Ben creates an open shot for his teammates. Or he dribble penetrates deep into the paint, collapses. The defense kicks to the corner. There's an open shot, right? Offensively, he can do more things than just put the ball in the basket. And that impacts the game. That doesn't show up on the box score. So Ben offensively, he's directing traffic. He facilitates. He handles the ball. He does everything except really put the ball in the basket consistently when he could. So if you can live with that, but you also have him as one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, and Doc Rivers said it's a pleasure that you can go out every night and there could be a guy like Jalen Brown or a guy like Bradley Beal that scores 30 points and Doc can say, hey, look, we've got this guy that we can throw on him, positions one through five. So the fact that you have that in a player, it's very special. And it's easier to find a Zach Levine, or I don't want to say a Bradley Beal, but a Bradley Beal archetype. It's easier to find that than it is to find a Ben Simmons-esque player. So, yeah, the criticism is true. Ben's got to shoot more. There can't be games where it's just two field goal attempts, five field goal attempts. But in these games, you have to look at more than just that. You have to look at how he impacts the game, how he directs traffic, going to the line and shooting 75% there. That's a big step forward in the right direction. So there's all these silver linings that I choose to highlight as opposed to getting mad 
about the things that Ben can't do because the reality is the Sixers drafted the guy they're playing with right now, Ben Simmons. They drafted him as Ben Simmons, and he's the same guy, essentially. His maturity's gotten stronger. He's gotten better defensively. But they knew what they were doing when they drafted him. And the thing I've always said about Sixers fans is that they need to tamper expectations because Ben isn't a rich man's Rajon Rondo or a poor man's Rondo in his prime. He's not a supercharged Draymond Green. He's Ben Simmons, okay? And you need to let him play his game. So what I like about the Boston series is that even though in the first game it was a little slow, still highly impactful. In the second game, Boston's starting five, their entire starting five, shot 28% from the field against Simmons with more turnovers than assists when defended by Simmons. That's a game changer. Defensively, that is literally a game changer, and you can throw him on anybody. He had a huge scoring outburst in the fourth quarter. He's shooting over 75% at the line in his previous two or three games, I believe. And what's huge is this. The Sixers are actually playing bully ball, okay? Because Detroit fouled them a season-high 28 times. The Celtics two games ago fouled them a season-high 29 times. They sent them to the line 45 times. And the Sixers have 10 steals in in, in both of those games, the 28-29 the foul game. So defensively, they're locking guys. They're going to the line. It was a plus 33 differential in free throws for the Sixers. And they're just bullying guys. They're getting these one-on-one matchups, and, and, and they're just bullying guys. So for me, I've always said you need to be patient with Ben And I know it's tough when his entire class is developing faster than he is. And everybody had the failed expectation that he would get you James Harden. But ultimately, you need to be patient with Ben Simmons because it'll be a virtue. And you need to let him play his game and stop trying to make him or act like he's anybody other than he already is. Yeah, I agree. I also think that for the fans that are like whining about James Harden not being a sixer, I think you can look at that trade like now and basically say like, Oh, I don't know that Houston made the right trade. Like, like I think they, I think Houston met botched that trade to be honest. Um, well, I, I probably agree. I guess what the thought process was though, is that draft picks are bigger assets than anything. And the thing about the draft picks with the Sixers is that if there's still Daryl Morey and Joel Embiid in Philly, chances are they're a competitive playoff team. So Philly would maybe have some back-end first-round picks that would be a little less valuable than what they got. But ultimately, Victor Aladipo, uh, they got Karis LeVert and then flipped them for Victor Aladipo. Uh, the only thing that makes sense about that trade is them either wanting to free some salary up so they can pivot from the bad signings they've had in the past couple of years, or they just wanted to stockpile draft assets so they can maybe star hunt in another year or two. Yeah, I think the reason that they went that trade number one was because Tillman Fertitta is an idiot, <laughs> um, and he took any any valued personal vendetta over actual assets. Um, I don't think that maybe that package is more lucrative because, given Ben's skill set, you kind of have to do it. Kind of have to build the team a, a certain way, and with draft picks, you have a lot of flexibility as to how you can build the team or what direction you want to go. But that's that's just kind of the way I think about it. Um, Superhero eighteen asks you, Brock. Um, he thinks he he thinks he's been his Penny Hardaway type on the perimeter. Do you concur? And do you think he'd be uh, a, an easier fit at power forward? 
Yeah, so when I asked you last week, Austin, if the outcry would be as large if Ben was listed as a power forward and not pegged as a point guard, uh, this is kind of what I was asking. Would Ben be an easier fit as a power forward and would people care as much if he didn't shoot? And I, I think I do concur. The thing with Ben is the Sixers play positionless. So Ben is essentially a power forward. The offensive role he plays in the half court when he doesn't have the ball is the same role a power forward would play. And you can't use him in the corner because the Sixers don't even look to pass him the ball to shoot there on plays. So teams would sag off and it would make doubling easier. So that's why the Sixers use him in the dunker on Joe post-ups or flash him in the post on post-ups. So Ben offensively in the half court with the, without the ball is essentially a power forward. The problem is he handles the ball and he's top 10 in touches. So he's kind of this hybrid between a point guard and a power forward. I don't really think there's anything that, that the Sixers can do that would change that because they're not going to utilize Ben any differently in terms of facilitating. He's one of the best at doing that in the league. So you can't really take the ball out of his hands. And because of that, he's always going to be seen as a point guard. Uh, at the same time, he is a power forward in the half court when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. So uh, I do concur, but because the Sixers play positionless, um, it's kind of difficult to call him either a power forward or a point guard. Fair. Um, Tom Zimmerman asks, do you think the Sixers should pick up um, Ersan Yasova, free agent, and just dump Mike Scott? Um, I think they value Mike Scott's toughness. Um, obviously, right now he's dealing with some knee issues. Um, and I think Mike Scott's a very like love-hate kind of guy because like when he's missing every shot, you – like you want to like gouge your eyes out when he's making every shot. You're like, he, this guy can be a big part of this team. Um, I, I think Urson is an older body um, might fit better offensively, but this doesn't give you nearly enough on defense. And I think if I had, if I had to guess doc would probably prefer somebody he can trust a little more off on defense than someone he can, you know, someone that someone that'll knock down, you know, uh, two of every five, every six threes. Um, I like Ersan. I've always been an Ersan guy, but I just think he's, you know, getting older and maybe not the right fit um, with this team. Now, maybe you play him as like a stretch five, in which case you just like let Ben go to work. I, I think one thing that I've kind of, or that, you know, it's become very easy to, to see and conclude um, is that when, when Doc goes to the bench and, you know he got, and he and he rolls Embiid to you know to the off and then uh, Dwight comes in and it's like Ben Dwight. Those lineups are so bad offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no space. Like the other night, like in the first Boston game, Dwight Howard commits like four turnovers in rapid succession because um, he's forced to put the ball on the floor and dribble, which should never ever ever happen. Um, <laughs> and so, like without that spacing. Um, you really need like shake and Tobias and whomever else is out there to really step up their game. And it's it's, you're putting, you know, you're basically telegraphing where your offense is going to come from in those possessions. But the lineups with Dwight, Ben and Matisse got to stop, got to stop those lineups. Um, I almost think that doc knows that they're going to get crushed in those possessions, but he's just trying to give Matisse minutes just to see like, if he can figure out what he is to this team. Um, I just think that there are better spots to use him in. But I think right now he's kind of in a logjam with like, what do I do with Isaiah Joe, Furkan, and, and Matisse? Um, 
if I had to guess, he probably, if I had to guess, this is just pure speculation. My guess would be that he probably choose Isaiah Joe amongst the three, but you know, I think there's a long way to go. They both Matisse and, and Furkan both missed time uh, with, you know, various reasons. Um, but Isaiah Joe was, was lighting it on fire when he, when he was playing in that two week period. He was. Uh, but Tom, to answer your question, I think a, another stretch for, Slash small five could do the trick. Uh, don't know that I think it's Urson though. Um, Brock, let's 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 talk about um, you know F- Shake Milton's kind of fallen off a cliff a little bit. He's been cold lately. Um, he, he's been effective with those floaters, but the, the outside shot hasn't really been falling. Uh, Tyrese Max, he's gone a little cold. Um, for me personally, I think it's just that they're trying to adapt to a world where they're not like the number two scoring option. In other words, like they're trying to just kind of get their offense within the, or with organically within the team's structure when Embiid and Simmons and, and Tobias are on the court and they were scoring a lot of their points when two of three or one of three or all three were out. Like Maxi drops 39 when none of the three, you know, uh, heads, one of the, none of the three big heads, um, are, are playing. So I think it's just part of it is trying to find their rhythm within the, the team's structure. Um, but I'm kind of wondering if maybe there's something else that you're seeing. Well, I think in the past couple of games, Shake shooting has been a, a, a little down compared to what he's usually doing. But the thing about Shake is you know how he gets his buckets. He's, he's a hooper hooper. So he's going to work his man and, and, and cut it up until he gets to the rim. But a huge source of his offense is the two-man game. That's why pairing him with Dwight is perfect. So in these games where there's no Joe or you're not playing Joe heavy minutes, Shea can really erupt because you just use him in the two-man game. You draw some legal contact on the uh, the screen. Shea gets downhill in space. And like I said, he'll just cut up. The thing about Shea is he's sixth in the NBA of bench players in total points, sixth in the NBA of bench players and steals, and third in the NBA of bench players and free throws attempted. He's one of three players with 200-plus points and 15-plus steals in under 400 minutes. So Shake Milton has been incredible this season. He's, he's got a really good driving field goal percentage. He's good in the pick and roll. But with Shake, he, he's, his game is kind of – his game flow and his game is kind of dependent on other players. He's got to get these screens. And when Joe's posting up 18, 19, 20 times a game, that takes away some of Shake's looks. Uh, but regardless, I think Shake has been incredible this year. And I give a lot of credit to the bench because they've done a brilliant job in either expanding or holding leads for their starters. In a game last night against Detroit where the Sixers are coming off a very physical series with Boston where whistles were going in favor of Boston for a little bit, the Sixers got fouled a ton. It was a physical series. They then have to travel to Detroit. They have a day to play. The fact that the bench in the third quarter took a lead that was six points and held the lead, so when the starters returned, it was still six points, is where games are won. Because if you could put that second unit in and they hold it down for seven, eight, nine minutes, your starters come back in with the lead that they left with, and you're golden. So I think the bench, which is anchored by Shake Milton, is going to be just fine, and, and and they got a ton of depth there this year. Yeah, um, 
I, I think their depth is something that we've never seen before with, with, with like a Sixers team. I just think it's now try about finding that consistency. But I mean, like in the last three years, since the Sixers became good again, you were just trying to find a way to eke out 31 points from the bench. Like, that, that you're just trying to squeeze out every little bit of production you can get, every teardrop, every floater, just praying that it finds its way to the basket. So that way you can, you know, get 31 points from the bench. And that way your starters aren't like fighting tooth and nail for every point your team scores. Um, there were games at like halftime where they would have like three bench points total. Um, and, you're, <laughs> and it's like from like TJ McConnell pulling up for a, like a 15 footer and getting fouled and going to the free throw line. Like, like they had nothing from the bench mm-hmm. and, you know, now they have, they have some pieces there just about finding that consistency. I'll tell you this, if Furkan, Porkmaz and uh, Matisse Thibel are going to be mainstays in this rotation this season, they got to find a way to hit 30. Well, Matisse has to find a way to hit 38% of his open corner threes. And Furkan's got to make more than 40% of his open threes from everywhere. I think Furkan's a guy that when he's hitting shots, he's he's money. There's very few shooters better than Furkan on the Sixers when he's hitting his shots, but that comes so few and far in between that it's tough to rely on him consistently. I would have made a case for Isaiah Joe taking some of those Furkan minutes, but then again, I trust the guys coaching that, that they're doing their job. I put all my trust into them. So if Doc Rivers and, and his staff right now think that Furkan is the player that deserves those minutes – and so be it. The thing that I think with Isaiah Joe in comparison to Furkan Korkmaz is that Isaiah Joe is a confident, quick-trigger three-point shooter. He was really good in college, shooting that three-ball a shot at a really high volume, and he was one of the league leaders, I think top five in both years in the SEC, for three-pointers made. So he's a guy that, that has some size to him, and he's young, so he doesn't necessarily have all of the muscle and the maturity to maybe keep up with some – NBA caliber forwards or wing players right now, the way maybe Korkmaz might. But I think with Isaiah, Isaiah Joe, I, I just I'm a little more reliant on Joe to hit his threes than Furkan Korkmaz is. So um, I, I hope that eventually during this season, Isaiah Joe is able to snatch some of those minutes. But then again, like I said, I trust the guys in charge of it. That's nothing. I find it hilarious that like like Doc like Doc went on a mini miniature tangent. Like, I don't want to make this team and get with something that it wasn't, but it's like a little bit of like a, like a monologue he went on where it was like, I'm trying to teach you people that like scoring for Ben Simmons isn't the end all be all. Mm-hmm. He was just like, he was saying like, he does so much else on the court. Um, why would we just focus on the scoring? Like what like get, like figure, like realize what I'm trying to tell you here. I just think it's funny that like people on Twitter with like 15 followers are like, like, oh, this coach is no different than Brett Brown, or oh, got to trade Benson. I decided that this guy has won a championship as a head coach of the Boston Celtics. Like, like, like give the guy an hour to figure this thing out. <laughs> Literally, I, Austin, you know how I feel about social media and, and, and believing stuff that you see. I don't really believe much of what I see. Uh, so I never really believed that Ben Simmons was getting traded for, uh, for James Harden. Uh, but it, it did feel real, and I think the rumors were real towards the, the the back end of that trade actually happening when it did with Brooklyn. But I do think that Daryl Morey has a lot of confidence in Ben. I think the staff has a lot of confidence in Ben, 
And Doc, more than anybody, has confidence in Ben. And that should tell you something because he won a championship with Rajon Rondo. And in his pressers, he always reiterates people, always said, how are you going to win a championship with a non-shooting point guard? Well, he did it. And he's been employed as an NBA head coach for over two decades. So I trust the people that are in charge. I don't question them because they're professionals and they get paid. But the thing that's so bothersome about Ben Simmons is that these these, these bozos, they watch these games and they think they know the answers. This is what Draymond Green says, my favorite interview. Draymond said, the difference between football and basketball is you can watch a football game and enjoy it because the people watching it watch it and they know they don't know shit. They, they don't know what the linemen are doing. They don't know the routes. They don't know what the quarterback reads. So they watch football and they keep their mouths quiet because they don't know shit. But when you watch basketball, it's perceived as a simple game. And to people like me and you, it is. It may be a little harder for others to digest. But the thing about basketball is you can watch it. You can quickly understand it. And because of that, everybody has an opinion on it. And Draymond said sometimes he wishes he played football, not basketball, because everybody has a basketball opinion. And that, that that's so perfect for Ben. I draw so many parallels between what he said there and Ben's game because everyone thinks they, has, they have a diagnosis. Everyone thinks they know what they're watching. And it just blows my mind that, yeah, the dude has 12 points and you don't love that and you especially don't love only five free throws or uh, five field goals attempted, but you have to look at everything else he's bringing to the table. Stop saying he's a max player and they're paying a max player to facilitate. Ben Simmons was 23 years old, a two-time All-Star, a Rookie of the Year, an all-perennial uh, NBA defensive player, went to the playoffs twice in his first two seasons. Anybody with the money would have maxed Ben If you're under 25 years old and you have one promising year, you get a max contract now. It's not your money. The, the seats you sit in to watch the games aren't any cheaper if they didn't pay Ben. They're not going to go out and sign Kawhi Leonard if they don't send, sign Ben Simmons. Nothing would have happened had they not given Ben the max. So to say he's a max player, he's supposed to shut up because everyone that's 25 and younger with promise is a max player. You have to look at everything else Ben does. And Doc calls that the floor game. He said it in his presser today or yesterday after the game, whenever it was. Ben Simmons scoring is nothing that should concern you. And it doesn't concern Doc because that'll come. If Ben was to just focus on scoring and not play the floor game for the Sixers, it wouldn't be good for them. And that came out of the mouth of Doc Rivers. Why? Because if Ben's not out there directing traffic, if he's not telling guys where to be, if he's not getting his teammates open shots, if he's not collapsing the D, if he's not busting his ass defensively to get deflections, steals, taking the other team's number one, the Sixers are in a much worse position. And Austin, for the people out there that may not believe that, the Sixers have a 112 offensive rating and a net rating around six when Simmons is on the court. When he's off the court, just for those I don't know, that that translates to per 100 possessions they outscore opponents by six points. Exactly. Per, yeah, and then you said it was 112 for the offensive rating. Yeah, 112. So that, that means that they're outscoring that they're scoring 112 points per 100 possessions, which is there you go. Which, which is really, really, really good. There you go, Austin. I love the maturity this year, bro. I love it. So 112 and a net rating around six with Simmons on the court. When he's off the court, the offensive rating falls to 104 and the net rating 0.7. So when Simmons is on the floor, regardless of how you feel about his 12 points per game, regardless of how you feel about his jump shot, 
he's out there impacting every single game, and for the most part, positively. So if Doc Rivers and his staff and the people that get paid for for observing basketball professionally, if they're giving Ben high praise and not worried about his scoring, neither should you. If you're a YouTuber with 300 subscribers, if you're a Twitter account with 1,000 followers, I don't care who you are. If you think you have clout, if you don't, whoever you are, you should not be concerned about Ben Simmons scoring. And I'm, I'm not one to invalidate people's basketball opinions because, I mean, that's just not – I'm not one to say that your opinion's trash. I'm not one to say any of that. I am. At the end of the day, <laughs> you're, you're a little meaner than me. But at, at the end of the day – I learn a lot about people based on their opinion of Ben Simmons. Uh, That's usually how I make my judgments on your basketball opinions. Uh, Depending on what you say about Ben Simmons, that's how I know if I respect your opinion or not. Without me saying I invalidate it. Yeah, I mean, I I just call, I just flat out call my uncle stupid. I'll be like, you're an idiot. (laughs) I'll I'll be like, this is why I cover the team and you don't. So maybe just your humble brag. Maybe to stay. Maybe to stay in your lane. Stay in your lane, like Levar Ball said. Yeah, there we go. Um, we do have to read a quick ad. Uh, let me talk to you about my friends at Thrive Fantasy. Come hashtag prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. I know everyone loves free money. Brock, you must love free money. I know I enjoy free money. Yes, sir. I'm sure all of our degenerate and non-degenerate fans and uh, viewers that love to gamble on sports, they love free money. Um, Thrive Fantasy has eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about the top-tier athletes in a respective sport. It's the NFL. You know, we have the Super Bowl coming up in two weeks. Choose 10 out of the 20 player prop options to build your lineup. It's NBA, MLB, PGA, or even eSports. Choose five out of the ten player prop options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or under based on its likelihood of occurrence. Uh, The more points the selection is worth, the riskier it is. You rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. It's pretty damn cool if you ask me. Um, Use promo code SIMMONS43. That's not number four. It's the word four, F-O-R, Simmons, four, three, number three, all one word. When you sign up today and you will receive an instant deposit match up to $50 on your first deposit of $20 or more, download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or, or Play Store or by visiting their website, www.thrivefantasy.com, um, and sign up, to, sign up and hashtag prop up today. Rock, we get back to our uh, content here. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I they're they're number they're number one in the East right now, um, and I'd say those Nets are really struggling. Uh, no, they're struggling defensively. They're still a very long season, a long way to go. But two weeks ago, everyone was like, "That's it, pack it in, it's over." The, our our guy Lyle on Twitter was like, "All right, season's over, we're done." Go, you know, on to the next one. Um, you know, all these people were like, were like, well, that's it. Maury's failed the franchise. It's, a, it's all like just like cancel the season. The Nets got it. The Nets just lost twice to the Cavs. They almost lost to the Heat. They give up 40 points to Bam Adebayo. They're a terrific player, but they clearly have nothing in the middle. And I'm still waiting for that chemistry to sort of formulate 
on offense. And if you look at Steve Nash recently in his like one of his recent post games, he was like, "We got a lot of work to do," mm-hmm. which is doesn't doesn't really incite a lot of confidence. Um, I'm sure they'll figure it out, but I don't think they're this like unreal, um, you know, like unbeatable team, um, you know, that no one can beat. That, so that, that's what unbeatable means usually, right? <laughs> I'm just playing with you. Um, the thing about Brooklyn is they've got a bunch of hoopers on their squad. When you put a bunch of hoopers on the floor together, good things happen. The problem is there's little to no interior defense right now, and you need boards defensively. Kevin Durant and James Harden, Kyrie Irving, too, can all take 25 shots a night. They could all score 40-plus a night. They could all go to the line 10-plus times a night. The problem is – when you run into a guy like Bam at a bio, when you run into a Giannis, when you run into an Anthony Davis, a Joel Embiid, a big that can impose their will and establish it early, you're going to have problems. And you can't just constantly trade twos and threes the entire game. So for Brooklyn, I still think they're a top three most dangerous team in the NBA. And I anticipate they'll be the ones that make it out of the East. I haven't made my prediction complete yet. I still need to see Brooklyn at full strength, and I'm assuming they get someone big at the deadline. I don't know what assets they really have to spare, um, but I'm, I'm assuming Brooklyn makes it out of the East for now. A source told me JaVale McGee was on their radar. I saw that today that, that they've been looking at JaVale McGee. No, I, I had that a week ago. Like, uh, well, yeah, well, you're, you're, first for, you're first for everything in this city. I, I, I respect the hustle, AK. Um, <laughs> But the, the thing I will say is I think the Sixers match up better with Brooklyn than any team in the East. So uh, Giannis is is a great defender. He plays off ball a lot, and people have mixed opinions on him playing how defense and that whole philosophy. But ultimately, outside of Drew and Chris Middleton, he's a capable defender. I think the Sixers are just better defensively. I think Joel Embiid is a guy that's a force on both ends. He's a deep boy candidate. Ben, you can throw on anybody one through four at that point because Joe's going to be defending the five. Tobias has had a good season defensively. He's still got size at 6'8", so if he has to play a three or an undersized wing, that's a physical advantage in favor of Philadelphia. Danny Green, 6'5", 6'6", Shake Milton, 6'5", 6'6", so you've got some height at the guard position, and I just think they match up with Brooklyn better than any team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, so – how would you rank the East right now, like the top four teams? The top four teams right now. Well, who is it? It's Philadelphia. Is Indiana? Is is Indiana in the top four right now? Indiana's two. I want to say Boston's three. Boston's three, and and Milwaukee's Milwaukee's within the top four. I think um, yeah. Atlanta's also in the playoff picture right now. Cleveland's in the playoff picture right now. The New York Knicks. Are in the cle- are in the playoff picture right now. So right now, it's Sixers at one, Bucks two, Celtics three, Pacers four, Nets five, and okay. and they're all separated by two and a half games. Yeah. So as the season progresses, and remember, we don't have the second half of the season. The schedule hasn't been released yet for the second half of the season, so we really don't know what strength of schedule will look like. Um, but if I had to pick my top five teams in the East in terms of who's going to make an impact in the playoffs. I think it would be Brooklyn. I think it will be Milwaukee. I think Philadelphia. I think out of respect, you got to put Miami in there just based on what they did last season. And Boston. 
Uh, but that that isn't to say that Indiana might not creep there. That isn't to say Toronto might not turn things around and creep up in there, although that's pretty unlikely. Uh, but those are the five teams that I would say are the most powerful in the East. Now, in terms of like the seeding, what would you think it looks like? What would be your guess? <sighs> Honestly, Austin, I think Philadelphia is going to have the best record in the East. I really do. I think they're they're going to play bully ball. I think they're going to maintain and establish this brand throughout the season. So I think Philadelphia ends up with the one seed. Milwaukee ends up with the two seed. The three seed, I'm going to say Brooklyn gets. Brooklyn or Boston. I think Brooklyn or Boston at three would be interchangeable. Kemba's given them a huge boost over in Boston, and they're always candidates to get someone at the deadline. So then yeah. that would leave Miami, Miami fifth. And like I said, that's fluid. So so maybe Indiana takes that fifth spot. Maybe Toronto creeps in. Um, New York maybe gets it, although there may be a regression uh, incoming in New York. Uh, but that would be my five. So for me, I think what's ultimately going to happen is the Sixers and the Bucks are going to fight for the for that one seed. I think one of them gets the one, one of them gets a two. I don't know which one yet, but I'm not convinced the Sixers are going to get the one seed. I, I'm just not convinced yet. Okay. Um, but then I think the three is going to be Brooklyn. I think you're right about that. Four, Boston, and then the rest. Um, I do think right now, and I think one thing that really benefits the Sixers is this. They have a lot. I think they have better depth You know, over, the, over their – like the roster in general, maybe not at like certain positions, but in general on their roster on paper, I think they have better depth than, than the Bucks do. Bucks have a couple guys you can't play in crunch time. Um, you know, and they have guys that you like plug and play on either end of the court. Boston has no big man depth and they're kind of struggling in other areas too. Um, Brooklyn obviously has nothing to, to in, in the middle and they have really no depth at all outside of their starting unit. Um, and Miami is deep, but some of their players are kind of their people are kind of figuring them out a little bit. Um, I think the Sixers are really in good in really good position with their depth because with the eighth, ninth, ten race, that's a thing this year with the play in. Um, I think there's going to be less trade bait at the deadline. I think it's going to be less buyout market too because teams are going to be in it. Teams are going to be in it longer. Um, and so I think that's going to really hurt some of those teams. And then when those guys do become available, there's going to be less of them. And they're, they they might be more inclined to stay out West with the Lakers or the Clippers or whatever, depending on the, what those teams do. Um, but I think that helps the Sixers a lot. I, I ultimately think um, it's going to be Milwaukee or Philly at one, Milwaukee or Philly two, three is going to be the Nets, four, Four Boston or Indiana, five Boston or Indiana, six the Heat, um, and whatever. Now, I mean, I think the Heat are the wild card and all this. I think that, that once Butler gets back and they get really they get healthy and they're good to go, they have a they, they can slide up a lot. But I think like the, the like there's there's now a scouting report on Kendrick Nunn. There's now a scouting report uh, on Tyler Hero. Bam has you know one of the highest ceilings on that team probably. Um, but I think they really need Butler to do a lot of things when it comes back for them to get them back to where they, where they were. Um, do you think Miami has a chance to like get to the finals? 
I think it's a lot tougher this year than it was last year. Uh, the thing I'll say about Miami is that they could really exploit a team like Philadelphia or they could exploit a team like Boston. Boston lacks the interior to maybe defend Bam, and Philadelphia is struggling defending the pick and roll. So for a screen-heavy team like Miami that not only uses the pick and roll but uses off-balls to get guys open, they could exploit teams that way. Uh, but I think their path is a lot harder. And with Doc Rivers coaching the Sixers, I think the Sixers are a completely different team, Okay. So the Sixers from past years are, are, are not even comparable to the Sixers team of this year. And I say that to say this. If you compare Boston's wins or Miami's wins against the Sixers in the past three years, I no longer care because you had Brett Brown coaching that team. Now you've got a team that's top 10 in drives through 17 games and top 10 in pull-up Jays through 17 games, whereas they were bottom three or four in the past couple of years under Brett Brown. Why? The Sixers are using two-man game. Their pick-and-roll numbers, their frequency, way up. They have a legitimate offensive flow now. They have rolls. They have roll definition. They're spacing. Joe looks motivated. Ben, he looks motivated of late. So I think the Sixers are a really tough team to beat, especially for Miami, because the Sixers this year are a completely different team than in years past, in my opinion. And the really cool thing, Austin, is that Doc Rivers keeps talking about how this team has barely scratched the surface. And coming from him, that's impressive because the Sixers have looked awesome this year. I mean, they're putting up 70-plus points in some first halves, which is something that happened single-digit times in recent years, in the entire season. So they're already outproducing offensively than they normally have in the past couple of years. And the fact that Doc has said they know what they want to be, but they're not – there yet and yet they still look really good uh, it's very encouraging because they're playing a really good brand of basketball right now in philly for sure thanks to in marky hope you enjoyed your your uh your saturday night after the stream was over and then your and then all the sports on today good to hear from you uh, as always thanks thanks for tuning in um brock any parting shots no parting shots i did them all in my video today for the the the, the bozos that put I'd be hypocritical if I said people have garbage opinions because I said I don't do that earlier. But for the bozos that went public with their takes on Ben Simmons, you already look stupid. You, you don't need to embarrass yourself any further. Don't keep digging yourself into a hole. The best thing you could do is either admit you were wrong or own up to it, okay? Don't don't make yourself look any stupider. I addressed that in my video today. Have you ever seen somebody on Twitter admit they were wrong? Well, they don't, and that's just the app. But the problem is when you've got film and when you've got facts and people still dispute them and say it's fake news, you look like something else. And, and you, you know what I'm referring to. Um, it, smells, it smells pretty bad. It doesn't typically see the sun too much. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So uh, for all the bozos that went public with their bad basketball opinions, just own up to it. Uh, if you haven't checked my YouTube out, make sure you do that. I've broken down. I believe 14 of the Sixers games so far, uh, really in-depth breakdowns. We've got visuals. We've got musics, or not musics, music, and everything explained. So if you want to check out the breakdowns, do that. I do theory videos. we got an AI video. It's a bias video. And I, I, I uploaded episode one of examining Ben's game in the playoffs. It was his offensive creation and the defensive impact. But tomorrow, on Monday, I'm dropping episode two. And that's where we look at the offensive production and the jump shot. That one will be a, uh, probably a little bit more fun than episode one. So 
Uh, everybody check it out if you haven't. And I said it at the beginning of the video, but I, I, I can't even put into words how much I appreciate the support. Everybody commenting, liking, uh, saying, saying encouraging things, man. I'm just going to keep grinding, doing my thing, staying in my lane. And for the people that support me, I'm not going to let you down. So we're going to continue to make noise over here. And, I, and I'm going to continue to tell things straight. Austin, the way I'm feeling, listen, I'm not trying to be cocky here, okay? Uh, but in my soul, right, in my soul, my, my spirit, I knew this was for me. And, and I've known it for a long time, except I didn't really have an outlet, right? So this whole time in school, and this is going to sound so arrogant, but this whole time in school when we're in the production classes or at the radio studio, I've always not necessarily thought I was better than everybody, but I felt like I should be independently doing this and have a platform and just prove to everybody what I, what I bring, what I offer. Talk, now, your, talk your shit. Now, now with the YouTube stuff going on, I really feel like the one. I, I feel like it found me. And right now, bro, I feel like the one. So I'm just going to continue to do it. Oh, and yeah. um, I'm in competition with myself. It's me versus me. But it's time somebody has to take it from, from some of the goofballs up at the top. Uh, and unfortunately, that person's me. Yeah, I will say this as someone who's trying to build his credibility as a journalist um, and, and, and as a voice um, in the basketball world, I tend to not retweet too many people because I don't, I don't want to feel like I, retweet, retweets are always taken as endorsements, even if they're not meant to be endorsements. I will retweet Brock's stuff any day of the week because his stuff is ass. Um, and he, he, Brock is one of the best at what he does, if not the best. He's gotten so good that everyone – that there are a couple people – in this market that are actually now doing it as followers of, of what Brock does. So they're kind of stealing the thunder a little bit, not going to name names, but um, Brock is, is the original. He, he's the one that he's the one that, that, that the best production quality you got best insights you got. There's a reason that he's one of the fastest growing contributors we have. Um, and, you know, someday he'll reach my level. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Listen, bro, I'm, I'm right on your heels, AK. You are right on my heels. It's scary. It's, it's scary out here. I um, I told AK the other day that that we're in this together. The way I feel about this is, um, I, I've gone to, to to endless seminars. I've gone to endless summits at my school. I've heard tons of people in this industry talk. They've always said the the, the same cliche things. You got to outwork your competition. Be kind. Establish relationships. This and that. And while that's all true, at the end of the day, the only person that's going to go out and make something happen that, that has my back is me. So in doing this, I, I think I have my best interest in, in, in myself. But at the same time, I want to put the people around me on, the people that I think deserve it. I want to put them on, too. Uh, so AK has been a guy who's been with me since day one. Uh, when I first started, when I was writing, AK has been there. He's been with me for over a year or two. And he's a guy that just grinds. Right. He, he tells it how he sees it, too. He's not trying to be something he's not. And because of that authenticity, I think it's important that AK grows with me. So I, I never care if more people like or retweet my stuff than AK's. I don't care how many followers he has or how many I have. At the oh, end of the day, but <laughs> he's got more, yeah. At the end of the day, I, I just want to see AK eat. I want to see my people eat. So uh, I'm always rooting for Austin. And I've said you should support him and his stuff before you come check my stuff out. So. Yeah. Brock, Brock, Brock stuff is where you get your, your where you get your your whole satisfying meal. I give you the dessert. Um, <laughs> sounds really weird when I, the way I said it. Don't take it any other connotations. 
Jake Ramsey says, you guys need to start rocking some 76ers tops. I have a few, but I generally don't because I don't want to. I don't want to come off as a fan. I'm, That's exactly why I don't do it. Due to due to conflict of interest type things, I don't want to ruin my credibility um, by wearing Sixers clothing. But rest assured, there are certainly times when I will, you know, throw a 76ers shirt on when I'm going out to get coffee in the morning or whatever. That's for sure. Um, but try to keep it off of the of the professional, um, you know, platform. Um, but Brock is always tremendous work. Brock and I are a dynamic duo. I do, I do the written words for the people who are deaf. He does the words for the, he does the work for the people who are blind. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it functions well that way. Um, I will be, you guys can all catch Brock on YouTube, painted on Twitter. He has the most unbelievable stats you can get. His stats are always kick ass. Um, Stay solid. Well, Ben says I roll the, the G League stuff. I don't do the G League. I don't cover the G League. We're 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 with the big boys now. AK's AK's in the big leagues now. Oh man. <laughs> Where are we? Where are we? Listen, um, everyone. I appreciate the support. Stay solid. And I said it in a video. I just happen to be muscular. The stay solid, it's not about the muscles. It's about you individually staying solid, okay? Keep it real with yourself and the people around you. Don't try to be anything you're not. Be the same person every single day, okay? And if you're doing that, you're authentic. You're one-on-one. You're one-of-one. You don't have to worry about anybody copying you or you being like anybody else, okay? Because being real, being being your own self, that's, that's in style right now. So you got to stay solid. If, if, if you can't be yourself, you can't be anybody else. That's first and foremost. Um, Marky says, what do you all think of Norvell being with the Nets now? I actually texted his agent as soon as it came down, and I was like a little bit mad that I didn't get the scoop. But at the same time, it's Woj. Like, I, 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 I pay like a comparison to Woj. Like, what can I say? But uh, good for Norvell. Happy for him. Really nice prospect. Uh, very high-energy player. Um, good dude. And I, and I think he'll have an opportunity to do something in Brooklyn for sure. Um, you can find me on Twitter as well at NBA Krell. You can find him on Twitter at Landis Brock. I cover the Sixers on the beat. As for you, Ben Butler, I don't cover the G League unless I have to. Uh, I used to cover the G League, but now I'm in the uh, uh, but now I'm in the now I'm at the NBA level. So you, can, you can catch me tomorrow. I'll be covering the Sixers as well. Follow me on Twitter for updates on the game, what, whatever's going on. I also write the game story every night. Um, we got our post game show, our pregame show tomorrow, as well as the watch party that I won't be on, but I'll be on the post game or I'll be on the pregame show for sure. Um, as always, thank you for tuning in, everybody. Have a wonderful night.